Hey, podcast listener. Are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. But I have to teach everything in a seminar because I don't know who's going to be in the room and the one person who might need that standard on episodic television accounting, right? Now, the chances of me having someone who does episodic television accounting is really, really small. But in my seminars, I have to cover it because, you know, I have to make sure that I cover everything in case someone needs it. Welcome to Epic Business Growth for CPAs. My name is Geraldine Carter, founder of She Thinks Big Coaching. This is the place to be if you're a CPA who wants to grow your accounting practice. Weekly episodes are full of strategies and action steps that create a clear path for growth without working harder. Time to get inspired and grow your business. Hi, everyone. Before we jump into today's episode with Melissa Galasso, I have two things for you. One of them is an iTunes review. This one is from Susie Pettit. She says, I recently discovered this podcast and I've been recommending it ever since. I love how Geraldine brings her real life into business. In addition to the wealth of practical information I need, this entrepreneur is grateful for the work Geraldine is putting out there so I can think big. Thank you, Susie. It is always nice to hear from listeners and to know that you're enjoying these episodes. I really appreciate your reviews on iTunes. And let's do a 180 for a minute for the second thing. And that is that you hear from me every week. And I would love to hear from you. I would love to know a bit more about you, listeners. I know you're out there and what podcast apps you use. But that's all. And it's lonely podcasting sometimes. You might have heard me say that it's just me and my meowing cats. I would love to hear more than just my meowing cats. And knowing a bit more about you would help me provide you content that's directly tailored to your interests. So I created a super simple survey that takes less than a minute to fill out. To incent you to share a bit more about your story, to take 60 seconds out of your day, you have the opportunity to win a 25-minute flash coaching session with me. For every five people who fill out the survey, I will give away one session. So your odds are 20%. The link to that survey is in the show notes and on my website. So click into the description for this episode and you should be able to get there. In advance, thank you very much for your time. And now I want to introduce today's guest. Melissa Galasso is the founder of Galasso Learning Solutions, where she offers custom continuing professional education to CPAs focused on engaging learner experience and improved performance outcomes. 
I wanted to interview Melissa to talk to her about continuing education. While it might not be the sexiest topic ever, with 40 hours required every year, it's worth doing right. And having seen a number of my own clients have to cram in dozens of hours right before the deadline, it made me think this was an issue worth bringing to the table. Please welcome Melissa Galasso. Hi, Melissa. Welcome to the Epic Business Growth for CPAs podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. And before we dive into Galasso Learning Solutions, the question I ask my entrepreneurs, what was the very first thing you did to earn money? So not uh, too untraditional. Um, I was a mother's helper for four children um, after school. So, and I was paid $5 an hour Ooh. to watch four Ooh. children. Now in fairness, the mom was a stay at home mom. Uh, I was there to help because she had four children, um, all, you know, all young, uh, two of them not in school and then two in school. So um, I did that for a number of years. And it pains me. I still get Christmas cards from the family and now they are all having children and it's just scary when I get the Christmas card in the mail with the photos of them, but they were awesome. And it was a great experience for me to go out and to make money, but to also have that opportunity to be responsible and, and to really learn responsibility, especially when you had someone else's little kids to, to care for. So very traditional female uh, first job, I would say. Nice. Nice. How old were you? Um, I was in ninth grade. So I did it ninth, 10th and 11th grade. Nice. What did you spend your $5 an hour hard earned dollars for on? <laughs> I would probably say I was a pretty big saver. Um, so I was not a big spender actually. And, you know, my mom at that age, you know, paid for almost everything I needed. So when I went to college, I put a pretty hefty down payment on my, not that it put a dent in my Georgetown education, but <laughs> it, you know, I did you know, pony up a good amount of my savings to go to college. So, and it was my college spending money. So I didn't, I wasn't a big spender. Nice. Nice. I love it. Give us the fast walk from Georgetown to where you are now. Sure. So I did not go to school to be an accounting major uh, by any stretch of the imagination. My, I'm the oldest of three girls. And when my, when I used to go to college, my mom said, you can do whatever you want. So long as you can pay for yourself when you grow up. <laughs> and I was like, that's a pretty reasonable request. So Georgetown has four colleges within the university. Uh, they have a school of nursing, they have a college, this is the school of uh, a foreign service, and then the business school. Uh, and so I applied to the business school as a, or, you know, incoming first year freshman, and I was accepted. And I said, okay, I have no idea what I'm going to do with a business degree. No one in my family is, has a business degree. So I'm like, I'm just going to go try this out. They have great jobs afterwards. Uh, and the very first class I took at Georgetown, on the very first day of school, Wednesday morning, was Accounting 101 because it was mandated that all freshmen have to take accounting. And I loved accounting. Uh, I don't know what about it. Like I loved that the debits equal the credits and my child balance balanced. And all of a sudden it was like the perfect world for me. Uh, so I became an accounting major uh, and I graduated with an accounting degree and I went to the big four right out of school, which was pretty typical for a Georgetown accounting major to do. Uh, and I started my career in public accounting um, and I wasn't in love with public accounting. And I was really confused as to why, because I loved accounting, but I did not love public accounting. And I just couldn't figure it out and I was unhappy. So I went into industry and I spent a few years in industry uh, and I went actually back and I taught at Georgetown for a number of years. And then it finally clicked for me that what I love about accounting is the technical 
aspect of it. I love how the standards are written. I love how the standards work out. Uh, and when you're doing the accounting, it's so much muck and shades of gray. And so I realized that I really enjoyed the technical. I loved going to FASB headquarters and talking about standards like that. I was just a standards nerd. So I ultimately went to a national office of a regional firm and I did their technical work uh, as well as their training. And I fell in love with training people on technical accounting standards and audit standards. And uh, four years ago in February, I uh, decided to open up Colossal Learning Solutions and focus on teaching continuing professional education to CPAs. Holy cow. Wow. <laughs> so you are super, like you are the go-to person for when people have technical questions about these things. Yeah. You're the one to go to. I am the geeky person who really likes technical accounting standards and likes to cite FASB citations and COD notes. And yep, that's what I specialize in. So I teach, you know, the more difficult areas of audit and accounting, uh, specialize in revenue recognition, leases, all of the new standards, but turning them into what I think is most important practical experience. So for, so often what happens is you get someone who basically reads the COD to you in a training course. I like to turn it into, okay, how, what do we do with this? What's the practical application? What does this mean in reality? How do you apply this? And so that's what I like to focus on because so often, yeah, I can read you the COD, but it didn't make sense to you, which is why you wanted training. I'm there to turn it into plain English. So that's where I focus. <laughs> Right. I could have just read it myself. Thank you. Yeah. That's why I'm here. <laughs> like save me from the cod. Tell me what I need to do. So what does that look like in terms of um, what you offer for CPAs in the sort of day to day? Sure. So I offer continuing professional education that's customized. Uh, so I work with firms one on one to develop a course that makes sense for them. So we'll sit down and have a needs assessment and we'll look at the standards that impact their clients. Because if you're a smaller firm, you probably don't have too many clients with contingent put and call options. And so you don't really need training on contingent put and call options. And so FASB issues, you know, 10 to 20, sometimes more standards a year why focus on you know standards that don't apply to you? So I focus on really understanding my clients, the firm and their needs and what their clients' needs are so that I can help them do a good job serving their clients. My goal is that when they leave, they know what they need to do and how they can help their clients be successful. Wow. That sounds amazing. I'm very lucky. I get to do something that really impacts lots of people and it's something that makes me really happy. So it's a nice balance. Yeah, it's great when you figured it out, right? It, yeah, it took me more time than I'd care to admit, but once you figure it out, it's a huge difference. And maybe for our listeners, give us a ballpark of how long it took you to figure it out. Uh, over 15 years, I've been a CPA. <laughs> So, um, you know, it, 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 did, it took me over a decade before I realized I loved training as a profession and then even longer to, you know, take the, the big trip into going out and being an entrepreneur. Um, you know, most CPAs are pretty risk averse people. Uh, I fall into that category. You couldn't have, I couldn't dream 15 years ago of ever being out on my own. Right. That was just not ever even remotely considered. And I actually had to see a coach to even convince me that I wanted to go out on my own because I was never convinced of that. Wow. Um, I mean, there's a cool part in there about customizing training and only teaching people the things they need to learn and not wasting anybody's time teaching things them teaching them things they don't need to learn. And I think that's really important because if you go to a seminar and it's hard for me, I do teach seminars very infrequently. Um, those are sort of my give back to the community type. They're lower rates for me, uh, but it's my opportunity to give back. But I have to teach 
everything in a seminar because I don't know who's going to be in the room and the one person who might need that standard on episodic television accounting, right? Now, the chances of me having someone who does episodic television accounting is really, really small. But in my seminars, I have to cover it because there's no, you know, I have to make sure that I cover everything in case someone needs it. And the beauty of working directly with a firm is to give them the training that they need. Yeah. And it also sounds like you do more than simply training for firms, right? Yes, I do governments, nonprofits. I actually do groups of firms. I have a client I love. He is in a small rural area uh, of Illinois, uh, and he's gotten a whole band of other small CPA firms together. And they, you know, in order to bring them to that local area that's not well served by continuing education. And then I'll go out and work for a conglomerate of firms. Uh, so I will do seminars. I speak at plenty of conferences for the AICPA and random state societies uh, as well as part of, I think, important giving back. I'm very involved in the profession and I think it's important to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to have good training. What are some of the biggest challenges you see associated with getting high quality training? I think a lot of times, especially smaller firms uh, are going out to seminars or to conferences and maybe 20% of the content will apply to them. And I think that makes it hard. You spend a lot of money on training. You have to get for most states, at least 40 hours a year of continuing ed, that's more than doctors and lawyers. So CPAs have the highest professional education requirements in the country. Uh, and so if you're gonna spend all that money uh, and only get about 20% of the return, I think for many small firms, that's a, a big issue that they are exposed to on a regular basis. And then sometimes if you have lack of access, you're maybe not involved or taking classes with some of the better instructors. Uh, so you might have someone who reads your slides to you, which is so moving and oh motivating. <laughs> uh, I've been in those classes and you're just like, I can't believe I paid for this. So trying to find someone who has personality and can apply the standards is sometimes hard to find uh, in, a, in the continuing education. I will say it's getting better. People like Donnie Shimamoto and Amy Vetter, who are great at delivery, but also incredibly technical. We're starting to see that grow. And hopefully the growth of that will spur other people to get involved with teaching continuing ed and not just people who want to read the standards to you. And how about, so I'm imagining in urban hubs, there might be more access, but a lot of our population of Americans sort of lives outside of urban centers. Absolutely. And I think this is one of the hardest things for state societies who are one of the largest providers of continuing ed. They want to do it where they can get mass because then it makes sense. And so people have to drive, you know, get a hotel room sometimes in order to go to continuing ed. And that makes it expensive. Uh, so we started to see more online options. They're hit or miss in terms of quality. I do offer some online options, but there's something about teaching live and being able to help people and watch them do a case study. And you really have to have really good instructional design to be able to do it in a webinar. And so, you know, we're starting to see that for smaller firms who are geographically dispersed, but also we see it for, you know, when state societies are trying to do it, it's hard to find a topic that makes everyone happy because this one might specialize in this and that one specializes in that and they have to give them sort of this generic training. So again, not necessarily going to apply to the work that they do. If you're sort of in a rural area or, you know, geographically diverse or not in an urban hub and you need 40 hours a year, how do CPAs do continuing ed right? 
I think really trying to find someone who speaks on a topic that you need. Uh, and sometimes that is asking around. So, you know, I've not, it's not uncommon for someone to email me and say, do you know someone who teaches X? And then I'll be like, oh, well, actually I do know someone or specializes in this area. So I say I talked to a CPA who all they do accounting for is law firms. I know another CPA that all they handle are dental uh, dentists and dental auspices. And when they're looking for that, they're like, okay, well, I need CPE to help me. And so then you have to know the right people to help get the education that they need because otherwise they're taking CPE and none of it applies to what they do on a regular basis. So asking, ask your state society, ask your state board, do they know of anyone? Because they're all connected. I will tell you, if you ask the state society and they don't know, they will reach out to all the other state societies to try to find someone to help you out. And I think that's a really good network to always tap into. And how about timing? Because I hear of stories, you know, like December 21st rolls around and people are like, oh my God, I need 40 hours. Yes. Uh, December is my busiest month of training. Um, it's actually odd though. My second busiest month of training is actually May. And that is for those who have June 30 requirements. So across the country, it does depend on what state you're in when your CPE is due. So I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. We have a 1231 deadline. But if you were in Alabama, they have a 9.30 deadline. If you were in Oregon, they have a 6.30 deadline. So every state has their own deadline on when they want your CPE done. So there are, you know, I'm very popular in August in Alabama because <laughs> that's when their CPE is due. And then my East Coasters are predominantly, most of the East Coast is 12.31. I spend a lot of time around 12.31 on the East Coast. And then obviously... Uh, the West Coast has a lot of the, the 630 year ends uh, for their CPE. So um, it is definitely a wait to the last minute. I think one of the things, if you were intentional about your CPE and you plan it out and you think about what do I need, and then you only take courses on what you need, you're going to find that they're offered all year round. If you wait to the last 10 days of the year to take CPE, you're going to have to take whatever's offered. So if you're a little bit more intentional and you plan your CPE, you have the opportunity to go find something that's really applicable to you. So what gets in the way of people planning ahead? Like this happens year after year. It shouldn't come as a surprise, right? And yet, they're working. First off, most people, I'd say 99% of people don't take any training in January through April because they actually have work to do, right? So right off the bat, four months out of the year are pretty much shot. Um, and if you do taxes, then you have September and October that are shot. Most people like vacation. So the summer, so right when you start peeling back the <laughs> onion, right? You know, if you just wrapped up your 415 deadline and you take three weeks off of the work, or, you know, your first thing is not, okay, let me see what CPE yeah. I want to take, right? Your, yes. your first inclination is, okay, let's see what has blown up in the last five yes. months that I have been totally checked out of reality. Yes, totally. What clients do I need to tend to? So I always tell people to plan in January before before they get knee deep in tax season or knee deep in closing the books or knee deep in audit season. Because for the most part, the first two weeks of January, no one has their 1099. Nobody has their W-2. No one's closed their books yet, right? So no matter what you're doing, if you're doing audit, you're doing... The only people I would give a little bit of a break to are people who are in bookkeeping because they are closing the books those first two weeks of the year. Yep. Then I'd say the following two weeks. But you know, for the most part, in January, no one should be completely the whole month knee deep in work, that's your opportunity to plan. Because once you get into February, March, April, May, you really don't have time to plan. And then things just zoom by you, right? The year just flies by, like you look up and it's December. So early planning is usually the best way to do it. It's also when you have the most opportunity 
to do it, right? You can select, you can set aside the time because then you'll find out, okay, I'm going to start researching this in June. And you'll find out the only day that they have a course that applies to you is the Friday before your sister's wedding, right? So, you know, lack of choice there. Or the only day it's going to be available was last week, uh, which isn't going to help you. So if you start and look ahead at what's coming, you can be picky. When you get to December, you don't get to be picky. I need them if it checks the boxes. And at that point, you not only waste your money, but you also waste your time. Absolutely. There's no return on investment. And the whole point of having continuing ed isn't a punishment. I remind people that all the time. CPE is never a punishment. It's professional development. And if you're not taking things that apply to you, then it's missing the whole point of continuing ed. They don't, you know, you don't want your doctor going to classes that don't apply to them, right? Right. You don't want your heart surgeon over there in dermatology. Exactly. Oh, well, there are no more dermatology classes. So I'm going to go learn about, you know, being a foot doctor this week. Right. So that here are people, you know, I only do do this, yet I'm taking classes on that. I'm like, your, your clients aren't benefited by that. I think about CPE as your opportunity to help your clients do better by being prepared for the questions they're going to ask and truly understand their issues. And so it is an opportunity to really serve your clients better. In addition to doing work for state societies, do you also have your own set of online training? I do have online training that I work with. Typically, I don't have it open to the masses, but I do offer webinars to people when they need them. So that's something that's more of an ad needed basis. And in that case, is that all custom or do you have those available? Like you have them pre-recorded and you serve them up or do people put in custom orders like they not like ordering a pizza, but not like ordering a pizza. It depends. So sometimes what I'll recommend is a course that I've already sold to another provider. So for example, um, I will sell my material to Becker or to the AICPA, and they then offer it on demand for the masses. And so if they're looking for some content that I've taped ahead of time, and they don't want it custom made, I'll send them to one of the vendors that offers my courses on demand. Um, if they're looking for something a little more custom made, I will then offer that. I have a webinar platform that I will then serve them what they need, uh, an hour or two of, of CPE that meets their requirements. You run into, you come across how many CPAs a year? A thousand, 10,000? 10,000 was our actual, our estimate. So every time I teach a class, I write down an estimate of how many people were in the class and then from the companies that I sell my material to, I get royalty statements. So our last estimate for 2019, and again, it's a pretty rough estimate, but it was just about 10,000 people attended uh, one of my classes during 2019. So 10,000 CPAs came across me, which is really funny when they bump into them in an airport or <laughs> wedding, and they're like, oh, you taught my X course. And I'm like, so nice to meet you. <laughs> So they recognize me. I obviously don't recognize them, especially if it was a webinar that I never saw any of the attendees on. Um, it can be kind of funny to, you know, have be, you know, recognize an accounting perspective. We call it accounting royalty. Um, and so people will recognize someone in the airport. We're walking together and it's really funny to be like, oh, we're only famous for accounting. Like it doesn't count anywhere else. <laughs> You should pop quiz them to see what they recall from the material. <laughs> that is one of the big differences in CPE. If you take live CPE, there is no exam. If you take on-demand uh, on CPE, there is an exam requirement. So NASBA does require. So that's one of the big differentiators in 
this DPE world is do you want that exam or not? Uh, so right now they don't require uh, exams for live. So long as you had your butt in the seat for the right number of minutes, you get CPE. Mm-hmm. You do it on demand, same course, you got to pass the test. Mm. So for those of you with short attention spans, you know where to go. <laughs> <laughs> but there's so much CP out there now that's not even technical. Like I love to teach non-technical courses and I get more requests for that now as we see the next generation of leaders, right? So when you look at firms right now, they're struggling with succession planning. They're struggling with people skills. Uh, we're looking at communication problems. And so some of the more popular classes now are future of the profession. What is this skill set that we need going forward? We'll talk about emotional intelligence. We'll talk about you know team building. And then succession planning across the board is an area of concern. Um, and you know I hear it every day as I teach, especially future of profession classes. People will be like, I groomed this kid to be my replacement and then they left. And I'm like, well, did you ever tell them that you were grooming them to be your replacement? They're like, well, no, I just assumed they knew. I'm like, communication skills really are really (laughs) important here. So, you know, you don't have to get, and now that's not true in all states. There are states like South Carolina that puts a maximum number of professional uh, education courses you can take in soft skills. I'm firmly against that. I believe that for many people, your technical skills are your you know, your first few years of, uh, out of school, you're really building your competency because four years of college or five years of college does not make you an amazing CPA, right? You actually have to have practical experience to go with it. But then once you start managing people, your soft skills are just as important as your technical skills. And then once you work your way all the way up the, the food chain, then it's almost more important. When we talk to partner groups, they don't need more technical CPE. <laughs> they need more skill set on how to delegate, how to handle, you know, those are the types of things that we tend to see. So I also encourage people to think about professionally, not just technical, but what else do you need? Because there are courses out there for that. And the AICPA has done a really good job. They've actually created an entire conference called EDGE, and it's all about your soft skills, right? The whole conference covers those, you know, how to lead others, mentorship, sponsorship, all those other intangibles that I think are super relevant. And I don't think people take enough CPE in that area. I know some state societies and some state boards do restrict the amount, but I think that's short-sighted because long-term you have to build yourself up too and your own skill set and where are you most efficient that should be driving your cpe and if i can add to that the work that i do with clients one of the things that i run into again and again in terms of their ability to grow their own practices is their own confidence and if their confidence is lacking it just holds them back holds them back holds them back you will see that at all the conferences now. Conferences are selling confidence classes like you're going out of style. You can't, you know, women's conferences are becoming very popular right now. Uh, and I don't think confidence is a women's issue. It's actually funny. I taught a um, webinar on confidence for a uh, group. It was a, a for a, a society. It was a state society. And it was a gentleman who did my introduction and he had to stay on all the way through the end to do the closing. And afterwards, I kind of joked with him. I'm like, oh gosh, how hard was it for you to sit there and listen to a course you know, designed for women? Because the, the course topic was confidence in women. And he goes, I just take the word women and I substitute Asian because he's Asian. <laughs> and so he goes, it's the same thing. So he goes, I just, every time you mention female or I just substituted it in my head and I think it's just as important for me. And I was like, that is beautiful. Like, I just think it was the funniest thing that I've ever heard, but it was so true because while we tend to focus on confidence in women because we know it's an issue, 
I think there are lots of men who struggle with confidence. It's just not as PC to talk about. And it's not people, it's more taboo. Women talking about confidence has become more of the norm. But I think confidence is a huge issue that really needs to be addressed head on. Ooh, I like it. You're giving me ideas because I absolutely see it in my male clients. It just shows up differently. It to- it's totally different. And if you've ever read Confidence Code by Caddy Kay, I'm sure you've got into that one. That was one of my favorite books on confidence. We're wired differently. We have different hormones, but it all manifests in their own way, right? So I think it's really interesting. Uh, we, t- we were talking the other day about um, that whole GSD group, like get stuff done, right? A lot of that is we're in that mode because of fear, right? So if you're like, I'm getting this done, right? It come, you, know, you can say, okay, well, I'm, I have all these other fears, but I'm using this sort of macho type of feeling, which is how it manifests, I think, more in men than in women. So women manifest their, their lack of confidence a little bit differently. But it's kind of interesting when you look at the underlying rationale for why we behave the way we do. And Yeah, and the way that I see it showing up is just underpricing. <laughs> underpricing is an issue the profession has to address. Because when I look at it, we're our own worst enemies, right? Instead of trying to put out a price that makes sense for the services that we're providing, we are trying to give the lowest price available. Like who wants to go to the doctor who charges the least? (laughs) You're not looking for the cheapest heart surgeon. Yeah, I'm like, no one searches around for that. And why is it okay that a profession that requires more education and more, you know, to underprice themselves. Like it's baffling to me. It's just a a real issue with the profession. And we need to start holding ourselves accountable and truly pricing what it costs to do something. Because if someone doesn't value that, that's their problem, not yours. Yeah. And it's, it's contributing to the hamster wheel and the, like the merry-go-round that you cannot get off of. And you won't find a millennial willing to sign up for the hamster wheel, right? So if you want the next generation, if you want people to stay with you and you want to be able to pass your firm off to the next generation, you want to be able to sell your firm to the next generation, they are not signing up for a hamster wheel, right? That is why we see the number of people sitting for the CPA exam drop year after year after year, because they're like, I don't want that lifestyle. And so until we decide to become more interesting to the next generation, they're going to go into IS and they're going to go into AI and they're going to go into these fields. And we're going to be like, there's no one left to do this, which will hopefully drive up the cost, uh, the prices because supply and demand will be in our favor. <laughs> There's like two CPAs left in the whole world. And you know, $100,000 an hour. Bam. Exactly. So it's our own worst enemy though, because it's all self-induced and we can fix this. We just choose not to. Topic for a whole nother podcast episode. <laughs> Absolutely. So if people are looking for CPEs, where can they find you? Uh, you can go to galassalearningsolutions.com. Um, I also have a good number of courses on demand for at the AICPA as well as becker.com. Those are the two largest on-demand providers uh, that offer my coursework. And again, practical and hopefully somewhat easy to listen to. Um, you know, that's, I have been told that uh, by a few people. I keep asking them if they would tell my husband that, but apparently no one's, <laughs> no one's taken me up on that offer. I love it. And if you could create anything at all with your own business, what would that be? I really love accounting. Honestly, like someone once asked me if I could do any job, what would it be? And I'd be like, oh, I'd be an accountant. And they're like, but you're an accountant. And I honestly think that it is the language of business. And we have so many opportunities in my career. I've been licensed now. 
I was licensed in 2004. So I'm coming up on 16 years of being a licensed CPA and I've been practiced a year before that. So, um, but in all that time, I've gotten to work in industry. I've worked in internal audit. I've worked in external audit. I've worked in academia. I've worked teaching CPE all using the same basic underlying. And so I think we are one of the best opportunities to try something different. Okay. That's all well and good, but what do you want? What do you mean? What would you create? If Yeah. If you could create anything with your business, what would it be? What would it look like? Oh, I just want more really good trainers. Like in my opinion, more really good trainers, more really, honestly, there is a dearth of trainers who are interesting, practical. I have to take CPE too. So people forget that like, Oh, you get all your CPE from teaching almost all the States I work in. Um, you are, and I'm licensed and you have to sit as an, an, an attendee in order to get your CPE. So there's a maximum training you can use. And so I sit in conferences and I'm like nails on a chalkboard. Like if I wanted someone, <laughs> so in my world, I'm going my business in order to grow and get more people with personality out there teaching CPE in a way that's, you know, practical, deliverable and actionable. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And interesting, engaging. Absolutely. Melissa, it's been such a treat. Thank you so much for coming on the Epic Business Growth for CPAs podcast. Thank you for having me and everyone. Good luck on your busy season. Luck is not a strategy. <laughs> Hope is not a strategy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Melissa, for coming on the podcast. What stood out to me in this conversation was just how easy it is for the year to get away from you and that when it's left until late in the game, you end up having to choose from whatever is left to satisfy requirements, which is not just a waste of time and money, but a huge opportunity cost to learn the things that could potentially really move your business forward. If you want to connect with Melissa, you can find her at glossolearningsolutions.com. I will link to Melissa's website and the survey about this podcast in the show notes. All right, everyone, that's it for me. I will see you next week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.